We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses this morning. While you're turning there, I'm going to go grab me another water. Anybody else want some water? I, I, well, I'm not. It's available. First Peter, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Peter writes now, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if, they, if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. The title of my study this morning is Marriage the Way God Intends It to Be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to have your word in our hands, Lord, knowing that it's your desire to speak to our hearts. You have something to say to each one of us here, married or not married, uh, single, it doesn't matter, Lord, you have something to say to us this morning, and so we want to have just open hearts to receive all that you have for us. We pray, Father, if there's anyone here, uh, this service or next service, that does not know you, they don't have a personal relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, they're not born again, we pray, Lord, that the blinders would be taken off and they would see their need for you for their salvation. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you heard the story of a, a speaker at a women's club who was lecturing on marriage and asked the audience how many of them wanted to mother their husbands. Or well, one woman in the back row raised her hand. You want to mother your husband, the speaker asked. Mother, the woman echoed. I thought you said smother. <laughs> how about this story? One more. Three guys are talking together, discussing marriage. And the kind of control that a husband has in his marriage over his wife. And they're kind of boasting about how much control they have over their wives. Actually, two of them were doing the talking. One was just kind of watching and listening quietly. And so the two finally turned to the one guy not talking and said, So what's up with you? Do you control your marriage or not? Do you have control over your wife? And he said to them, Well, you know, just the other night she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. And they turned to him with wide-eyed wonder and said, Then what happened? To which he replied, then she said, get out from under the bed and fight like a man. (laughs) You know, when you start a study with verse 1 of chapter 3, wives likewise be submissive to your husbands, you never know what you're going to expect. I mean, everybody has an opinion. They'll say things like, well, submission is simply not reasonable for the modern thinking woman, or or, submission in marriage is outdated. I disagree. 
Because even though the Bible was written in a certain place and time, it represents unchanging truth, uncompromising truth. Even on topics such as submission, it makes us feel maybe a little uncomfortable. Because what we have laid out for us in God's Word is, is marriage the way God intends it to be. You see, when it comes to marriage, all we need to do is go to the one who wrote the book on it, God Himself. He created marriage, and we need to get back to God's Word and find out what He has to say on the subject. Now, with that said, I do believe the problem that we see in marriages today have much less to do uh, understanding the role of the husband and the wife and more to do with rebellion in the hearts of the husband and wives. The issue is not knowing what to do, but rather doing what we already know to do. It's not more books, it's not more counseling that's needed, but rather men and women with hearts that are yielded to obey what God's Word has already told us what to do. It's willing to allow the Lord to mold and shape our marriages and bring them in alignment with His Word, with His, his heart, with His will, and, and with His role for our lives. You see, success is, is, in marriage is more than being with the right person. It's, it's you being the right person. It's been said marriage problems are 95% heart problems, and, 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 and it's a heart that Peter deals with in, in this section of Scripture on the subject of marriage. Now this morning, we're just going to have two points this morning. We've divided this into uh, verses 1 through 6. We have the wife's responsibility towards her husband. And verse 7, the husband's responsibility towards his wife. Let's begin with the wife's responsibility towards her husband. Verse 1 again says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now we need to understand something here. Peter's addressing a marriage that is unequally yoked. Now, if you're not familiar with that, that term that sounded maybe really weird to you, unequally yoked in marriage, what is that? Did you cook your eggs, you know, unevenly? What is that? I mean, is it some, some bad yolk? Uh, you know, is it, is it a marriage that's over easy? Is your marriage scrambled? No, okay, that's, I'll stop. But an unequally yoked marriage is a term that's used by Paul the Apostle when a believer is married to an unbeliever. They're married legally. They're married legitimately, but the believer is single spiritually. The yoke, the spiritual bond isn't together, so the yoke is an unequal yoke. And so because Christianity was spreading, women were coming to Christ at this time, but husbands weren't. And in that culture, whatever religious inclinations the husbands had, the wife was expected to fall in line with. Line with. So, so what's a Christian wife to do? She's in that relationship. It's volatile. It, it, her husband is not a believer. She's there. The pressure's from the state, from the community, and from her husband. What should she do? Should she dump this unbelieving guy and go find the man of her dreams who's a Christian? There are some who would say, that's what you do. And now she can go free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. (laughs) Peter would say no. Paul also would say no, according to 1 Corinthians 7. As hard as it is to hear, there's something else that needs to be done. Paul says it, or rather Peter says it in verse 1 when he says, Wives, in that situation... You need to be submissive to your own husbands. Well, that's not what I want to hear. We want to hear run. We want to hear escape. We want to hear hear get away as fast as as far as possible, but not submit. Listen, when Peter was saying likewise here, he's referring to what we just studied back in chapter 2. He's saying just like we are to submit to those in authority over us in the government and, and our employers, employees, God has something to say about submission in the home. Now let me say this first, God's plan for your marriage and for our lives in general is that of submission. It's to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ first and foremost, married or not married. But then in a marriage relationship, it's submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. 
Verse 20 and 21, he said this, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It's interesting there in Ephesians 5, before a word is said about a wife submitting to her husband and husband's wife, the first we're told to submit to one another in the fear of God. Because there has to be that mutual submission. You don't hear that very often. Wife, submit to your husband. We hear that. Yeah, that's right. The Bible teaches that. But the Bible also, also teaches husbands are to submit to their wives. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not to imply that the husband's submission to his wife uh, relinquishes his responsibility of leadership in the home. But rather, it explains what it's all about. You should be supporting one another in the fear and the reverence of God. Guys, you need to support your wives. You know, hold her up. Wives, you need to do the same for your husband. You need to always be ready to meet their needs and to sacrifice your own desires to help fulfill their needs. We need to do that for each other. See, it's all about submitting at one point. Wives are called to submit to the loving leadership of their husband and husbands are to bow to the needs of their wives. It's not about superiority or inferiority. inferiority. It's about sacrifice. It's about your mate, your spouse. And most importantly, it's about imitating God and walking in love. Because the marriage relationship is a partnership together. So submit one to another in the fear of God. Fear of God. Support each other in the reverence of God. It's a mutual desire to align our hearts with God's heart according to the roles that He has designed for the marriage relationship. But, Peter does say that wives here specifically are to be submissive to their husbands. That word submissive and the Greek is hupotasso. And then it's not to hoop your woman and lasso her into submission. That's not what the Greek word means. Hupotasso is primarily a military term to rank under, which means hupo, under, and tasso, arrange. It's a military term. Submission has to do with order and authority. A man in the military, as a private, has to submit to the sergeant to whatever he says within guidelines. He may be more intelligent that, than that sergeant, uh, uh, you know, smarter. He may be a lot more intelligent, but he may even hold degrees. But because of his position, he has to submit. That's what Peter's talking about here. Why should they place themselves under the headship or leadership of their husband and allow her husband to lead? That's the order and the operation that God has designed. Now, to get a better understanding of this, let's look at what submission is not. What does this not say? Five things. This does not say that the wife is the slave of the husband. The, the truth is the wife is never freer than when she is submission to her husband. And that's seen in just read Proverbs 31, and you can see that all throughout. Number two, this does not say the wife is inferior to the husband. Jesus was, was not inferior to Mary and Joseph, and yet the scriptures say that, that as, as a child, Jesus continued in subjection to them. Number three, this does not say that the wife is never to open her mouth, never to have an opinion, and never to give advice. In fact, Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is a law of kindness. Number four, this does not say that the wife should do whatever the man tells her to do. Colossians 3:18 tells us, wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting in the Lord. If your husband is telling you or asking you to do something, anything that is ungodly or sinful, that's not fitting for the Lord. So don't do it. If your husband is telling you, hey, let's go out and get drunk, let's not, that's not fitting to the Lord. Don't do it. If your husband says, hey, I don't want you to go to church, stay away from church, I don't want you in God's word, you must obey God rather than men. Finally, number five, this does not say that the wife should be submissive to every man. Be submissive to your own 
husband, Peter says. He gets specific. See, it's about the marriage relationship, not some other relationship. Wives are to, to, to place themselves under the headship or leadership of her own husband and allow her husband to lead her. That's the order and the operation that God has designed. Why is that important? It's important because souls are at stake here. Salvation is on the line. Because look what Peter goes on in verse 1. He says, be submissive. He says, because even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Some that do not obey the word speaks of a non-believer. What Peter's saying here is that even if your husband is a non-believer, that doesn't free you from the responsibilities you have as a wife. Your husband's actions don't excuse you of your calling and responsibility in the relationship. Why? Because salvation is on the line. I know of believers that get so discouraged waiting for their spouses to get saved, but just as God saved you while you were a married unbeliever, so God can work in your spouse's life. And, and you're, you're there to give testimony both with your words and without a word by your example. Think about this. Your spouse is better off than you were when God saved you because now you were there and you can minister to them continually. I read this story about a husband who was a drunk and one night he, he was at his typical hangout at the local bar and as time passed, he kept drinking and drinking and soon became very intoxicated. And as he was drunk, he bragged to his friends that if he were to take the whole crew home, all his drinking buddies home at midnight, and asked his Christian wife to get up and cook them dinner for them, that she would do it without saying a word, without complaining. All the guys are in the bar, and they say, oh, come on, you're nuts, you're crazy. No woman would do that. He said, the woman of mine really believes in God, and there's just something about her. I don't believe the guy said, so prove it. I bet you're wrong. And they made this bed, and, and this big wager, and the guy was nuts, and, and the, the, the wife wouldn't do it. So they all left the bar, all drunk, piled in the car, and, and headed for the guy's house. Once they got into the house, they stumbled into the house at midnight. The husband called his wife out of a sound sleep to make her a meal. Ladies are getting a little uptight right now saying, I'll make you a meal. How about a knuckle sandwich? <laughs> the woman got up, got dressed, came downstairs, and cheerfully, as though she had been expecting them, she prepared for them a meal. After dinner, being so impressed with her attitude and activity, one of the men, who was a little more sober in the group than the rest, asked her, what is it? How is it that you can be so kind to us? I mean, you treat us so nicely and have such a great attitude when we're so unreasonable and belligerent. I mean, he knew that she didn't approve of their conduct. And she replied this, Sir, when my husband and I were married, we both were unbelievers on our way to hell. It has pleased the Lord to call me out of that dangerous condition. My husband, however, continues in it, and I tremble for his future state. For if he were to die today without Christ, he would be miserable forever in the fires of hell, so I think it's my duty to make his present existence as comfortable as possible. See, she has the right perspective. This woman's faithful replied ministry touched that man along with her husband and they became committed Christians along with some other than men. See, Peter's saying here, without a word that they may be one to the Lord by the conduct of their wives. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't share with the unbelieving spouse. Just be careful not to go overboard. I mean, you hear of husbands getting up in the morning with their wives taped scripture cards all over the bathroom window, mirror. He goes to take a bite of his sandwich and there's a scripture card in the sandwich. Yeah, what is this? He goes to lift up the toilet seat and, oh wait, he doesn't do that. Uh, <laughs> but to get the picture. Not that you shouldn't try to share scripture with your unbelieving husband, but instead of nagging and criticizing and preaching to your husband, a wife should simply set a godly example Showing him the power and beauty of the gospel, though in effect through her own life. 
Peter says there's a possibility through the way that you live your life, your spouse just might get saved. Don't you think it's worth it then? Verse 2, he says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. That word chaste refers to purity. It speaks of free from carnality, free from compromise. A, a godly woman, is, life is marked by purity in her conduct, in her motives. Her behavior resembles that of Christ so that wherever she goes, people see Jesus in her. Proverbs 31.12 says that the woman towards her husband that she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Well, Proverbs 12.4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Listen, humility, love, kindness, purity, and respect are the most powerful means a woman can use in winning her husband to the Lord. Now, how do you accomplish that? Well, Peter tells us, look at verses 3 and 4. By not letting your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This word adornment there comes from the Greek word cosmos, meaning to put in order, to arrange. You see, Peter's emphasis, once again, is on priority. What's the most, uh, what is the most important? Peter says that your focus should be on the inward beauty, not the outward beauty. Now, understand this is no way advocating neglecting yourself physically, letting yourself go. You know, it doesn't matter, I don't care how I look. It's not saying that you shouldn't wear any jewelry whatsoever or put makeup on. Or as the immortal words of J. Vernon McGee, if the bar needs painting, paint it. You know, if the house needs painting, paint the house, but then go inside the house and furnish it with holiness. Deck it out with character. Decorate it with godliness. That's the point that Peter's making. See, the focus is on, on balance, and finding that balance can be difficult because of the way our culture is today. I mean, you go to the grocery store, and you go in the checkout line, and what do you see in those magazines? Lose 30 pounds by Valentine's Day. Have younger-looking skin in 14 days. Miracle makeup removes wrinkles instantly. There's always that promise, that allure of beauty and betterness and, and miracles. Peter's saying, hey, it's fine to look good, but get a spiritual makeover. It's that inward beauty that counts. But notice the kind of inward beauty that Peter's talking about in verse 4. It's the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Think about that word incorruptible. Because outward beauty, it's corruptible, right? I mean, the fashion industry knows this. The beauty industry depends on this one thing. Youth, right? Youth. So last year's models are, are, are today's unemployed. But, uh, but incorruptible beauty, it's different. Incorruptible beauty doesn't rely on mascara or lip gloss or eyeshadow. Incorruptible beauty makes a woman look and be more beautiful as the years go on. So you can be stunning on the outside and ugly on the inside. Or as Solomon puts it in Proverbs 11.22, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Solomon put it that way. I'm mean, just reading what he said. I'm not calling anybody a swine or a snout. That just, just Solomon said that. Listen, better is Proverbs 31.30, which says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's the incorruptible beauty. One who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Peter calls it the hidden person of the heart. Don't we all have that, married or single? We all have the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart is the real you. Your reputation is what people perceive you to be. Your character, the real you, the hidden person of the heart, that's who you are when nobody's looking. 
We all got one, the, the hidden person of the heart. What Peter is suggesting here, what the Bible is mandating, is that we as Christian believers, male or female, should be really concerned about the hidden person of the heart. I mean, think about this. What if we spend as much time on the hidden person of the heart as we do with the outward person in the mirror? I mean, think about how long it took you just to get ready this morning. I'm sure we all kind of went through the same routine. You woke up, got your coffee first thing. Then you showered. First, guys, you shaved. At least I did. You, you, you tried on your clothes. You fixed your hair, what little you have. and You put on the outfit. Maybe you have a little more time. You know, I don't like that outfit. And pull out a different outfit. Try two of that. That one works. And then your husband, uh, you ask your husband if this looks okay. And your husband rightly responds. It looks great, even if it didn't. You're finally all dressed. You make one last glance in the mirror and you go, oh, I look good. As you're getting ready to go, you have one last look in the mirror. You kind of do a sideways look and you go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. You go out the door. Okay, now tally up all that time. Showering and shaving and dressing. Do you spend that much time on a daily basis and energy on the hidden person of the heart? Reading God's Word. Praying. Seeking His face. Seeking the Lord. Imagine how beautiful you'd be on the inside if you did. See, your real beauty is going to be seen in the internal hidden person, who you are on the inside. True, true, true beauty is from the heart, and it grows more wonderful as the years go by. And true beauty in the, in the wife in a marriage relationship, Peter says in verse 4, is the, it's the interruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, before you pitch in your mind that gentle and quiet spirit means that you're some kind of doormat to be walked all over, that's not what it means. That word gentle here means meekness, not weakness. Meekness means power under constraint, uh, under control. It speaks of dignity of character and strong self-control. It's, it's, it's elegant. It, it, it's dignity. Again, back in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31.25, we read of the Proverbs 31 woman. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she lasts without fear of the future. In other words, she's clothed with, with strength of character and confidence. And that, that's what that meekness is. It's inner strength that comes from being confident in who you are in Christ. It's realizing it's that inner beauty that matters the most. And that results in humility and gentleness with others. Again, the idea here is self-control. The godly woman is a woman of character and self-control. Peter says that's precious in God's sight. Again, he's using that big word precious again, big old guy. And then he draws attention to some godly examples. Look at verse 5 and 6. Specifically, Sarah. He says, for the, In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Peter finishes up his section on, on wives by pointing to Sarah as an example of godly, a godly submissive wife. Now, I don't think that any wife here is going to follow Sarah's example and call their husband Lord, unless they're English, Lord Charlie or something like that. But, but the point is the attitude of the heart. Peter's saying the believing wife who submits to Christ and to her husband and who cultivates a meek and quiet spirit will never have to be afraid. In other words, you may be living with a real jerk of a husband, but the Lord will watch over you even if your unsaved spouse creates problems and difficulty for you. So hang in there. If you're married to an unbeliever, let Jesus shine before them. And just maybe your actions and love towards them as you let him see Christ in you may cause a change in his heart and he may, he may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's number one, the wife's responsibility towards the husband. Now we have in verse seven, point number two, the husband's responsibility towards his wife. 
We're all out of time this morning. Uh, God bless you guys. Well, is it? No. All right. Uh, we got plenty of time. Look at verse 7. Husbands, listen up, Paul says, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. See, Peter here gives a few things to consider about being a loving husband. First off, verse 7, he says, Husband, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Maybe you recall this story before. Uh, I've shared it before. It's pretty funny. I heard a story about a man who was walking along the beach and found a lamp. After a few quick rubs, the genie pops out and says that he will grant the man one wish. True story. Uh, and that knows. <laughs> the man thinks for a moment. Then replies, well, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm terrified of flying, and I get violently seasick even if I, I get on a boat, so I, I want you to build me a bridge that will let me drive my car to the islands. Well, the genie's, you know, he, he, his eyes widen in amazement. Come on, man, do you have any idea what that would take? I mean, how hard it'd be? I mean, the water, I mean, it's miles deep out there. Imagine the size that I have to, to make the pilings, not to mention all the typhoons that, that rip through the Pacific Ocean. Nope, can't do it, sorry, you'll have to pick something else. Man shrugs his shoulders and says, well, okay, how about this? I've been married four times, divorced four times, I just can't figure women out. I want to be able to understand women. The genie nods and thinks for a moment before he responds and says, so should that bridge be two lane or four lanes? <laughs> Listen, man, if God's word tells us as husbands were to dwell with them with understanding, then we can do it. One commentator puts it this way, we're to love them according to understanding, not according to fantasy. I mean, guys are good at that. They have a fantasy of what they think that the perfect wife is supposed to be like. Guys, get out of the fantasy world and into reality. Peter says, dwell with them with understanding. He speaks of completely being at home with her in that close, comfortable relationship. Why is it for us as men that can be such a challenge? Three reasons specifically I want to point out. Number one, it can be a challenge to dwell with them with understanding because we're wired differently. And we need to understand that we're different. And we need to understand their differences. To dwell with them with understanding, the word understanding can also be translated with knowledge. We need to know that we're different. I recently read a list of what makes men different than women. Here are just a few of them. A five-day trip only requires one suitcase. We know how to fix stuff. We can go to the bathroom without a support group. We can leave a motel bed unmade. We can get extra credit for the slightest act of thoughtfulness. Underwear is still $10 for a three-pack. We can sit quietly and watch a game with a friend without thinking that he must be mad at me. We can drop by and see a friend without having to bring a little gift. Here's one. If another guy shows up at the party in the same outfit that you are wearing, you might just become lifelong friends. Your pals never trap you with the question, so notice anything different? The same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. One wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. We can, we can do our nails with a pocket knife. And finally, Christmas shopping can be accomplished for 25 people on the day before Christmas in 45 minutes. There's differences. We're different. Listen, in the very first book of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, in the very beginning of creation, God made man and woman different. Genesis 2.18, God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 
Then we read in verse 21 through 24 that so the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of the man's ribs and closed the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought it to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from me. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined his wife and the two are united into one. I mean, to understand the significance of this act, we have to consider what God did not do. What God did not do was to repeat what the, cre- the creative effort he had done with Adam. God did not reach back down into the dirt of the ground and form a woman and breathe life into her. Instead, he took the man who bore his image and split those attributes into two separate but complementary human beings. He did not make her separate from Adam, but rather he separated her out of Adam. I believe that God took more than just material, more than just bone, more than just a rib. The language actually indicates that God took one whole side from Adam who was, was made another complete person. Adam was then divided, body, soul, and spirit. When Adam woke from the sleep, I believe that he knew immediately something was different. It wasn't, in fact, that he, he's missing something. He wasn't the same and he knew it. I think he realized that he lost some of the capacity that he had to, to feel things emotionally, maybe a little less balanced, a less emotional, a little more aggressive. Something was, was missing. That's because separately there are certain things missing in each of us. You know, my whole life, and maybe yours, you heard the fairy tale, every man must get in touch with his feminine side. Let me say clearly on behalf of the one who made us, man, you do not have a feminine side. God removed it on the day in Genesis chapter 2. The differences between the genders cannot be erased unless you've been in college too long, then maybe, but men and women have totally different ways of looking at life. God had created man with the desire to conquer and every single boy ever reproduced came out that way, looking for a fight, right? Boys come out dreaming of overcoming and conquering and and building. It's built into a man. And every time he looks at life, even little bits of life, he looks at something to overcome, something to fix, some challenge to face, something to tinker with. That's how God made us. But God looks at women differently. He created them for relationship. He made them to be sympathizers, communicators. Little girls come out determined to learn to communicate as quickly as they can so they can have relationships. It's been said, boys make sound effects, girls make relationships. Man, if you're a young girl, if you can't, if a young girl can't make a relationship, she'll just buy herself one. Hey, if you do this, uh, I'll be your best friend. Try that with a little boy. I don't got to do that. I got plenty of friends. By design, men and women are indisputably different, but we come together in God's plan as a matching set so that when God made Adam, he was then uh, uh, complete. But then, then he split Adam and, and made Eve so that together, so separately they were, they, they were not complete, but coming together, they came together as one. So when we understand that equation, criticism turns to appreciation. Instead of finding faults with our differences, we can enjoy them because that's how God made us. And we need to understand that about our wise men and not to expect them to be different than who they are. That's what it means to dwell with them with understanding. It's been put this way. The husband is a thermostat in the home, setting the emotional and spiritual temperature, while the wife is often at the thermometer, letting him know what that temperature is. Both are necessary. The husband who understands his wife's feelings will not only make her happy, but will also grow himself and help his children live in a home that honors God. So number one, it can be a challenge to dwell our lives with our wives with understanding because we're wired differently. But we need to know those differences. Number two, the second reason it can be difficult to understand our wives is because in our culture today, we're just plain too busy. 
Many marriages we, we, we lack, uh, could, could lack of understanding because you're never spending any, any time together. We can, can become so busy in our own little world and uh, work and, and maybe ministry, friends or whatever that we're oblivious to the needs of our spouse. How do we fix that? By spending quality time together. Maybe have a date night. I am thrilled that, that my son started a Thursday night college and career study at our house. It's now become my wife and I's date night. We go out. Uh, when are we going to go this Thursday? Hey, let's go over here. You know? And we're gone, we're gone until 10 o'clock because that's when they're done at 10 o'clock. And we don't come back a minute soon, sooner. It, it's great. So spend time together. The third reason it can be difficult in understanding our wives is because we're not honoring them as God has called us to do. Peter tells us we're to give honor to our wives. He says in verse 7, as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And do you honor your wife? Giving honor to the wife means that, that means to hold of high value. It means money paid, esteem of the highest degree, a precious price. The, the thought of this is, is preciousness. It's priceless. It's like a delicate vase. Does that describe the feelings that you have for your wife? Do you hold her in high esteem? Do you recognize her as a valuable gift that God has given to you? Let me put it this way. Do you treat your life, wife like fine china or like paper plates? Like it's like fine silver or like plasticware. Or as one cowboy put it, if a man has enough horse sense to treat his wife like a thoroughbred, she'll never turn into a nag. One cowboy said that. but <laughs> Again, Proverbs 31, it says in verse 31, that the husband is to give her of the fruit of her hands and that her own works praise her in the gates. Does that describe your attitude towards your wife? Do you show full confidence in her when she makes suggestions or shares concerns about certain decisions? Do you honor her by praising her in public? Do you honor her by focusing more on the good things that she does and the gifts that she has, or are you focused on only the negative? Do your kids know that she's the most important thing uh, second to the Lord in your life, and, and do they see that she's treated with respect? Giving honor also means that the husband respects his wife's feelings, thinkings, and desire. He may not agree with her ideas, but he respects them. Someone asked Mrs. Albert Einstein if she understood Dr. Einstein's theory of relativity, and she replied, no, but I understand the doctor. See, Peter says, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together the grace of life. Now, this term weaker vessel, it's a lot like the term submission. Ladies cringe over these words, and personally, I would like nothing better than to skip over these words, but God has called me to teach the whole counsel of God, so here it goes. When Peter says weaker vessel, doesn't mean intellectually, doesn't mean emotionally, he doesn't mean spiritually. So then what does he mean? It's quite simple, really. He simply means on a physical level. Physiologically, generally, women do not have the physical strength that men have. In fact, scientifically, a woman's blood contains more water and 20% fewer red blood cells than men. Red blood cells supply oxygen to the body, which accounts for the fact that she will tire more easily and be more prone to faint. Now, that's generally speaking. You might say, no way, I can whip my boyfriend. I lift weights. Great. But generally speaking, weaker vessel. As Forrest Gump would say, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But Peter says, give honor to the wife because we're both heirs together of the grace of life. I like that. We've both been given the grace of God. Well, you know, as, as believers, we're both going to enter eternally with our Savior. So show that grace to one another. Finally, Peter says to the husbands, 
Dwell with your wife with understanding. Honor your wife so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's an interesting verse. Is Peter saying, by not treating your wife the way you should, it's going to cause problems in your prayer life? I mean, it sounds logical to me. It sounds theological to me. So that word hinder there means to cut in or to in, in, interrupt. It too is a military term of somebody trying to blow up a road or so that the enemy can't advance towards you on the road. And here's the point in Peter using it. Uh, I believe Satan's desire is to hinder your relationship with God. It's to blow it up. And he does so by intending and attempting to hinder or blow up your marriage. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. See, if you're not dwelling with your wife and understanding, if you're not being aligned with your wife and honoring her, then Scripture says your prayers will be hindered. They're going to be blown up to no avail. You'll have apprehension in approaching God. You'll have this uneasiness. Things will just not be right. You know, listen, if you've had an argument with your wife and you sit down at the dinner table and you get ready to pray, I tell you from experience, it's hard to pray. There's apprehension in approaching God. Oh, thank you for this food. You know, ugh. See, our Lord knows what's best for us. And I'll speak to our hearts in, in prayer. You need to deal with this area in your, in, in, your, in your life with your wife. You need to honor your wife. You need to go and you need to ask forgiveness. In the same way, God will speak to your heart, wives, in the same way you need to make this wife right. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Don't allow the devil to blow up your marriage. Finally, as we close, maybe as a guy you're thinking, this makes sense. I realize I'm not honoring and cherishing my wife. I'm not dwelling with her with understanding as I should. Or maybe you're the wife and, and you're saying, okay, I know I need to let him lead. I, I know I need to let him be the spiritual leader in the home. I know that. And there's this t- temptation to say, I, I will. I'll change. I really try to make this happen after I get done with this project. After we get done with Christmas. Uh, as soon as I get this squared away at work. Or as soon as he does this. Or as soon as she does that. Listen, it doesn't work that way. The opportunity to be a loving husband is right here, right now, today. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. Wife, the opportunity to love your husband the way God intended you is right now, right here, today. Because the longer you wait, the deeper that hole gets until you just can't get out. And Satan's got the victory. You don't want that. We don't want that. You know, it's like a person who catches on fire. We were taught what? Stop, drop, and roll. It's the same way. Stop the way you're going. Drop to your knees and surrender to the Lord and roll. Call on the name of the Lord today. Ask Him for the fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. And He'll do that work in your marriage this morning. He will do the work. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Before any marriage can work, you have to have your life life right with Christ. I've always said this. If the vertical is not right, then the horizontal is going to be messed up. But if the vertical is right, then your horizontal is going to be smooth. If your life is right with Christ on a continual basis, your life on this earth, your life with, with your spouse, you know, it's going to be right. It's going to be where it needs to be today. So if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not born again this morning, I encourage you, don't leave here without making that commitment to Him. Stop, drop, and roll. Stop, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus Christ this morning. For the rest of us, love our wives, love your husbands, give the glory to God. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. 
Thank you for your word. Because it doesn't leave us without answers. You give us answers, Lord. How to deal with these specific situations of being married to an unbeliever. How to deal with that as a wife. Lord, I do pray for the marriages here, those that, that may be married to an unbeliever. God, we pray for that unbeliever that their eyes would be open, that they would see the love that you have for them, that, they, that you don't want them to reject you and, and, and end up in this place called hell, eternally separated from you. You have so much more for them. So we pray, Lord, that they would see that. We pray for those that are in an unequally yoked marriage, that you'd give them the grace and the strength to stay, stay committed to that marriage relationship. To be that godly example of what it means to, to follow you and to know you. To not grow weary in doing good, knowing that your word says we'll reap what we have sowed. And so, Lord, I do pray for the marriages here, that you'd restore those that are broken, strengthen those that are here. Continue to encourage those that have good marriages, Lord, that they would keep going and be an example to the others around us. Thank you, Lord. We recognize that the most important thing is putting you first in our marriage relationship, and in our lives. And so, Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that has not surrendered their hearts to you, they're not putting you first as their Lord and as their Savior, they would do so without leaving here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.